two was when we did a series on the 52 days that it took Nehemiah to rebuild the wall as God was building something in our church. And so, man, we, we brought in five pallets of cinder blocks and built some big old wall up in front. That's when we did crazy stuff when we were 10 years younger and had ambition and strength and, and all this other stuff that we're like, eh, we're too old for a lot of that stuff now. We got to hire a younger staff like Corey, Pastor Corey and Pastor Hunter to, hey, we can bring in blocks now. Corey just stood up like, hey, bring on the blocks. We're good, but hey, it's so good to be back as we kick off this series, Everyday Life. I want to fill you in. Um, if you would, begin to open up your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6, as we go through a little bit about what God did in Myanmar or Burma. And some of you are wondering, why do you keep calling it Myanmar or Burma? Well, because about 10 years ago, they changed the name from the nation of Burma to the nation of Myanmar as they began to change their whole government structure. And so they also changed all the names of the major cities from what they were to where they all are now. So when you go over there, some people will call it Myanmar, some people will call it Burma, some people will say you're landing in Yangon, some people will say you're landing in Rangoon, some people are saying you're going to land over here in Mandalay or you're going to land in Calmeo. And I'm like, well, which city is it? And like, well, it's all the same place. <laughs> Well, can't you guys just use one name or the other? I don't know. It's crazy, but, but I, I know they got some pictures that they're going to be scrolling through as I talk just for a little bit. And one of the first places that we went was uh, a place where it was the largest Buddhist temple in the world, over 140 acres um, were, were, is this compound of this Buddhist temple. And so it's the largest Buddhist temple in the world. Um, and as they're about to scroll through some pictures, you'll see a couple of the first two pictures that are on there with this. And uh, it's a 140-acre temple. And the main temple in the middle is built out of 20 tons of gold. Okay, so th that, that right there is built out of 20 tons of gold. And that's over $400 million at the bare minimum of what is the cost of that and every year they re overlay it with gold now it's not gold paint people literally buy little square pieces of gold that look almost like tissue paper and they collect those and they redo it every four years uh, from bottom to top they start over and begin to go through some of that and so as we begin to walk through this 140 acres we didn't walk all through the 140 acre woods right uh, Christopher Robin fans out there Okay, never mind. Some of y'all missed that, but okay. So if you got little kids 10 years or younger, you got me. Thank you. Um, but as we begin to walk through there, my heart just began to break for the people that were there worshiping, and they would talk about how they always began to focus on the planets, and, and they would go to the planets for direction, and every, every part of your, your birthday, like mine is 10, 11, 77, every part of that would mean something. It would give direction for your life, and my heart began to break because they will worship the planets, but they don't know the God who made the planets. They would begin to seek instruction from the solar system, but they don't know the God who created the solar system. And, and their disconnect is just, man, if they would just click over like a one degree, they would, they would experience the God who created it all and not just the creation of it. And so I saw people from, from little children uh, over there worshiping to elderly people on their knees for hours just worshiping. And, and it was truly heartbreaking to see. But it set us up for such great passion for what we were about to do as we were going to lead in a church planting conference. And so some of the pictures that you see are the church planting conference. And no, I'm not wearing the long J that they would wear because I was wearing it as a custom to... There are people over there, kind of like I did in Nigeria, but the difference is this. I'm glad I had a pair of Adidas workout shorts on underneath because I don't know how to tie those things as good as those people know how to tie those things. And we were about to do ministry, and it started coming, and then I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. 
what's been happening? I said, I'll minister in shorts, but that's kind of disrespectful to them, not to us, obviously. Um, and so, so a, a guy came up here and said, Pastor, and he like tied it real quick, and, and we got to do a bunch of ministry. But uh, hey, there were over 240 people who attended uh, this conference, and so that's over the that's the potential of 240 church plants in the next year going to take place in the nation of Myanmar or Burma, and so you had an integral part in, in this. And I want us to begin to pray over this. And, and every place that I go, I do this. I have um, uh, I, I get a flag of their nation, and I have everybody who's at the conference sign. And this is my one souvenir that I that I keep in my office. And as they as they all began to sign this flag, these are all the signatures of people who said, "Hey, I'm going to plant a church." Or I'm going to do cross-cultural evangelism. I'm going to go outside my church and begin to witness and open up my home to do a home church or, or maybe even start a church church with, a, with an actual facility that's in our, in, in our region. And so what we had to do is we flew into the nation's capital that was at the very bottom of the nation, and then we had to fly the next day two hours northwest, and then we had to drive two hours west to the, almost the India border uh, every day to our hotel because we realized the city that when we got to there had no electricity in that city. So everything we did and all the, the, the sound system and stuff was ran by a generator outside of the building. And so uh, you know, obviously they don't have any air conditioning if they don't have any electricity. So the first day we were there, it got to be 107 degrees outside with 100% 100 humidity. And so you saw the one picture, if you follow me on Facebook, my red shirt that had the awesome sweat lines on it. And, and man, it was just crazy, the intense uh, uh, the intensity that there was, but these people sat there through this whole conference, and, and literally that's hot for them too. It's not just we weren't just hot because we were uh, uh, Americans used to air conditioning. They were sitting there just pouring down sweat, sitting in their chairs, but they stayed fervently attentive to what God was imparting into their lives. And you could see their eyes begin to open on how we began to instruct them. Don't try to do church like we do church in America. Don't try to do a Western culture church. Find what God has for your nation. And because you're already so community-minded and so community-organized, why don't you begin to do church and begin to have it look maybe like this or like this? And they began to see the reality of how they could reach their nation in about the next 10 years by just planting community group churches all over different parts of their city because they walk everywhere they go for the most part and they don't travel great distances so to so to have a, a place where people drive from 30 to 40 minutes away is just not feasible so we began to instruct them on how to do church according to the word of God but how the spirit would lead them in their nation to begin to impact all the people that God would call them to impact and it's amazing to see what what God would 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 begin to do in their lives over the next three days and uh, you'll see some in the pictures. You see some ladies there that 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 are that are volunteer to open up their house, just like when you read in the the uh, third, second John, and third John. It talks about uh, to the people and to the house that they may meet in. Some of these people are opening up their house. Some of these people have said, "Hey, I'll commit to pastor the church." Some of the people said, "Hey, if you got a house, I'll be the pastor, and we'll plant two or three of these." And so it's amazing to see what God is doing uh, around the world, and it's amazing to have a church that's a part of what God is doing around the world. We went with an organization called Global Advance, and they, they equip uh, leaders around the world that God would put vision in their hands, uh, vision in their hearts and tools in their hands to accomplish the Great Commission. And as we go, they have the vision in their hearts, but we want to put tangible tools in their hands that they can use and go and spread the gospel. And, and, and one of these ways is there's a website, 2tim2.org, that none of the um, communist nations have really caught on to yet. I won't say this live streaming on seconds, service that'll give that away um but but have caught on to yet that they can go to and literally click on it and have a a, a massive 
uh, resource collection right there because some of you are thinking, well, if they don't have electricity, how can they go online? Well, everybody still has a cell phone and everybody has Coca-Cola, okay? It doesn't matter where in the world you go, you got those two things right now. And so the guy who helped us out, who is our host, his name is Kyle and his wife's name is uh, Nini, and uh, they have planted 38 churches and they're going to be the overseers of these other 240 churches as they begin to be planted. And so we want to lift them up in prayer as we uh, support them and pray for them. Uh, but the crazy thing is they, they live in an area that, that's called a yellow state. And what a yellow state means is they're in danger of persecution uh, for the gospel. And so as they live in this state, two weeks before, three weeks before this conference began, people came up to their house and broke out all their windows and, and tried to do some other stuff. But luckily they had some good... Uh, neighbor friends that, that rallied around them and, and ran off people. And so they're under persecution even as we speak. And, and, and I said, how often does this happen? He said, this is the third or fourth time this has happened. This is actually kind of normal <laughs> for the gospel that we, that we live for and breathe for. So even the guys who are with us, uh, the, the, it's startling to their children. It's startling to his wife. But they understand the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand that that persecution is just a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so with you and, and me as we're here worshiping freely worshiping in an amazing place we shouldn't feel bad that we're not persecuted we should embrace more readily the freedom we have as believers to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world I, I always say this if you are financially blessed you shouldn't feel bad that you're not poor you should do the most with your financial blessing that you possibly can amen we with our our freedom we shouldn't feel bad that we're not being persecuted every day we should advance the gospel all the more because we're free to do so amen we need to make the most with what we've been given because the Bible said to much is given much is required and as I believe our freedom is the greatest thing we've been given uh, as Americans we need to advance the gospel at all costs and so um, there's a lot more things that happen a lot of you saw the food pictures and everything else like that now I'm still doing great on food wise and and haven't didn't get sick out of anything we ate because God's a good God like that amen and, and so I'm, I'm grateful that the Bible says when you go out eat what is set before you well it doesn't say unless you don't like it <laughs> You know, it just says, eat what's said before you. And so as you truly take the word of God at hand, watch what he begins to do in your life, in your everyday life, as we jump into the, to the series this morning. And so, uh, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to hand that off to you if you just want to throw it on my chair over there. Uh, and so as you're turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number, uh, chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 10. Hey, I want to encourage you, grab your new handout for the month of uh, this. The front of it looks like this. It says everyday life. And hey, this isn't a one Sunday deal. I'm going to dress relaxed all four Sundays. And I want to encourage you to dress relaxed all four Sundays. And you'll find out the purpose of this. There's some awesome stuff that, that's going on uh, on the back side of it. On the October 18th, there's a night of worship and steak dinner for Redeeming Zoe. And we're excited that, that they're back with us this morning, Hillary and Becca. You can hear a full uh, breakdown of everything that they're doing. And then on the 24th bring your favorite guy it's fathers or guys night with all the kids and all the ladies get to go eat at Tierra del Sol uh, on the 24th so so you guys get to go have fun and there's a lot more other things going on that we want you to be a part of and so as we jump into this series everyday life we're in Matthew chapter number 6 verse number 10 and 11 and this is what the Bible says and this is Jesus talking here and this is the Lord's prayer that he's in and we're gonna focus on verses 10 and 11 but I can't get past as he starts this how he starts it he says our Father in heaven 
holy or hallowed be your name. And so I want us to always remember to reverence, honor, and respect not just God the Father, but, but all three people of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because they're all three God. It's just God the Father. The Father is his descriptive term. God the Son, the Son is his descriptive term. And God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is his descriptive term. And so when Jesus is saying this, I believe he's saying honor all of who God is in heaven. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we love that part because we want to see the will of God done on this earth as he already has it planned out in heaven. But the second part usually is kind of like there's a disconnect. It's like we want to see the kingdom of heaven come, and then we disconnect and say, but give us today our daily bread, and so we go back to the realities of life. But can I tell you, Jesus didn't disconnect these two phrases. In fact, it's one long phrase because your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the what? Give us this day your daily bread is how you're going to bring the kingdom to earth yeah. as we come. And so I want us, as we read this, to realize Jesus is not dividing this up into all these different verses that we have in the way it's written out today. In fact, this is one long statement or one long prayer, and it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer, because after this at the bottom, it says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you yours. And, and Jesus never was in need of forgiveness, amen. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. So it should be called the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. And the more I read the Bible, the more, the, the more uh, footnotes and headers that we've implemented in there, the more I realize we, we, we're, we're messing up true theology in Scripture because we call it the Lord's prayer. And it should be called the disciples' prayer. We call it the story of the prodigal son. And the story starts out, this, this is the story of a man who had two sons. So it's always been about the father, never about the sons. Right. And so the, all our headers that we put in and our subtitles that we put in have actually kind of messed up our theological theolo the true theological perspective that we should be having. But as he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So the last part of that, give us this day our daily bread in those seven words. He mentions day or daily twice. So two out of the seven words, that means there's only five words left, are mentioned day or daily. So this shows how he wants the kingdom to come. It shows how he wants the kingdom of heaven to infiltrate earth. It's on a daily basis in your everyday life on the way to what you're called to do in this life and who you're called to be. And so as we start this off this morning, God wants to use us every day on the way. Every day on the way. That means tomorrow when you wake up, and tomorrow when you begin to go to work, it's not, I was at church yesterday and I'm going to work tomorrow. No, it's God wants to use you every day on the way, somehow, some way, some shape, some form to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do with this dress casual during this series is because I want this to implement everyday life. There is such a big disconnect be be between our Saturday person, our Sunday person, and our Monday person that we, we've segregated our lives, that who we are on Saturday on our day off doesn't resemble anything about who we are on Sunday when we're worshiping and looks completely different than how we go to work on Monday and fulfill the, 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 the things of God in our life. And so I want us to remove all the disconnects that separate us to, be, to being this uh, uh, segmented-minded person and realize that God wants His presence in every area of our life all day long, every day of our life, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or any of the other days of the week. And so the, the, the dressing casual part of it is simply an illustration 
to prove that there is a disconnect between our Saturday person, our Sunday person, and our Monday person because how I dress on Sunday mornings is not how I dress on Saturday mornings. Right? I mean, I'm sure none of y'all wake up on Saturday morning and dress like you're going to church on Sunday. And I'm also sure many of you, how you dress on Sunday is probably not how you get together, get up and get ready for work on Monday. Some of you actually dress up more for Monday when you go to work than you do on Sunday. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of us actually have to wear a uniform on Monday and we wear what we call our church clothes on Sunday, right? I remember growing up, mom and dad always said, hey, put on your church clothes, right? Because there was a disconnect between what we would wear to school, what we had play clothes for, and what we would wear for church on Sunday. So the casual dress is to simply illustrate that there is a disconnect between our Saturday person, our Sunday person, and our Monday person. And so I will say or do things specifically in this series to show the disconnect between Sunday and everyday life. So um, I don't know how all that will look going forward, but I just need you to, to brace yourself. And I love what Pastor Mitch said this morning. It's never meant to, so when, when we leave church, people say, Pastor, you really stepped on my toes. I wasn't going for your toes. I was going for your heart. Right? I'm never intending to step on somebody's toes. I'm intending for the word of God to pierce your heart. And uh, Mitch's dad would always use that phrase. If you knew Brother Howard, uh, he would always use that phrase. So I'm not going for your toes. I'm asking the spirit of God and a spirit of Psalm 139 to begin to work in our heart uh, in, in an amazing way and watch what God has in store for us. And so in the opening series, we're going to establish a couple things. We're going to show the disconnect. I've already talked about that. And I've already talked about this. The kingdom coming is going to happen in your everyday and not the suddenly ginormous miracles that we all want to see because the miracles should be happening in our everyday. We read Acts chapter 2 and we see and suddenly. Well, it wasn't really an and suddenly. It was prophesied in the book of Joel. Started to be fulfilled when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. And then when they began to pray for 10 days and wait on the Holy Spirit, suddenly it may have happened in a moment, but it wasn't a suddenly occurrence because it was being built upon for years upon years to get to that point. In your life, if you're just waiting for the suddenly of you're going to wake up tomorrow and be a super Christian, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen every day on the way. You know, some of you, um, you, you're, if you will equate it to your natural life, you didn't start out in third grade being however tall you were, and then the next day, bam, I'm where I am at right now. Now, I'm only as tall as third graders now. I'm not sure what they're putting in the chicken, right? Well, actually, I do know what they're putting in the chicken, right? Um, but, but in that, you didn't, you didn't grow two feet overnight, even though it may have seemed like it. It's not any different in your spiritual walk. Some of us want to come to church three times, wake up tomorrow morning, be this super Christian doing miracles around the world. And I'm not saying God can't, but normally God works every day along the way to grow you into a place of maturity in the body of Christ. And so almost every miracle that Jesus did, and I, and, and I will go ahead and say every miracle that Jesus did, happened every day on the way, not as a specialized moment set aside in time, but on the course of his everyday life. And so I want you to begin to look for opportunities in your everyday life to begin to do this. And it's going to start with this. And here's what I like to call a transformational thinking moment. So write this down if you can. Anything, fun, church, career, hobbies, dinner, done outside the presence of God is sin. 
Y'all haven't heard me use the word sin a long time in church, I guess. I don't know. Y'all got really, really quiet. Anything, anything, listen, fun, church, career, hobbies, dinner, done outside the presence of God is sin. God doesn't want you to wake up on Sunday morning and say, oh, I must go get into his presence so I can worship good. And then after that, I'm going to step out of his presence so I can go eat at Juan Pablo's or Chili's or wherever I'm going to go eat it. And then when I got to go to a Bible study or my group life, I'm going to step back into his presence. No, it doesn't work like that. Your whole life should be encompassed by the presence of God. This is what set Moses apart from the rest of Israel. It's what set Jesus apart from everybody else in his day. It's what set Paul apart from everybody else in his day. It's what's going to set you apart from everybody else in your day. Because when you wake up in the morning, the first word you should say is, Good morning, Daddy. I love you. It's good to be in your presence today. And the last words that you say when you go to bed at night is, good night, Daddy, I love you. I thank you that even as I sleep, I'm in your presence. And I don't want to do anything, anything outside the presence of God. Moses said this, if your presence ain't going, I ain't going. And if your presence is staying, guess where I'm at? I'm going to be staying. But if he goes, then I'm going to go. If he stays, I'm going to stay. And so if Moses, an old covenant man, had this figured out, us in the new covenant, how much more with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that is welcome in our life every single day should we live in the presence of God? So anything done outside the presence of God, you need to realize you're doing it apart from God and apart from His power. Which is why probably many of you, when you get home from work, are exhausted and mentally tired and ready to just pull your hair out because you didn't do it in his presence or his power. Because there's this disconnect between who you are on Sunday when you worship and actually, if you read Romans 12 properly, you going to work in the presence of God is your spiritual act of worship. Come on now, I'll hit that in the last message. But I want to give you a preface. See, you going to work in the presence of God, offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then later in there it says, so, so when you go to feed the hungry, when you go to do these things, it's already prefaced back in verse chapter 12, verse 1, where it says you're doing it all in the presence of God. And so that's transformational thinking moment number one. Anything, fun, church, career, hobbies, dinner, done outside the presence of God is sin. Also, if we are working for God... And not from God, we've missed it, and Christianity is not any different than any of the other works-based religions. I'm going to say that again. If we are working for God and not from God, for God, not from God, we've missed it, and Christianity is not any different than any of the other works-based religions. See, the difference between Christianity and every other works-based religion is this. We work from the power of God, not for to get the power of God. See, everything that I do, I want to do it from God, not for God. If I'm doing it from God, that means I'm his son and I'm in his kingdom and there's an intimate relationship and he shares with me everything. If I'm doing it for God, I'm the older brother slaving in the kingdom, right? Trying to appease or please a father so he's not mad at me. Listen, his wrath has already been satisfied on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ. He's ready to bring you into himself or the kingdom because the kingdom is God himself. He's ready to bring you into himself so you can do things from him, not just for him. I live, I've lived 90% of my life doing things for God, not from God. And it's so much funner doing it from God, not just for God. Because anything I do from God is for him anyway. 
And so I want to encourage you in those two transformational thinking moments. And so as we rock through this message this morning, um, the, uh, and we're in this series, we're going to follow the story of two sisters and different accounts of them in the Bible. And, and it's Mary and Martha, and we're going to follow what these two ladies do and how we've realized that sometimes in their life, they did things for God and not from God. Sometimes in their life, they got distracted by their obligations, which led to manipulations, which helped them walk in victimization. And we're going to talk about those three waves next week. And then we're going to continue on uh, in the following week and talk about uh, we'll get things right when we have proper interpretations and expectations of what God wants us to do. And so we got some cool stuff coming up. But in this series, most of us would love to say, oh, pastor. I love just to be like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. The problem is that happens in about 1% of our life and about in 1% of the believers in the church. Because most of our lives are, are, are fulfilled with the, the Martha scenario. So most of us would say, I just love to be like Mary, Martha's younger sister, and sit at the feet of Jesus. But the truth is, most of us fall into the Martha categories, busy and distracted and many of our merry moments if we if we don't get the transformational thinking right anything done outside the presence of God is sin many of our merry moments are the anomaly not the norm we need to switch that we need to make our merry moments the norm and our Martha moments the anomaly and I promise when you start flipping that script you'll recognize real quick when you get into the Martha moments and you'll realize, hey, I'm going to get back into the merry moments where I sit at the feet of Jesus in his presence and I do everything from his presence, not for him, and to get his presence. Now, I'm going to read out of Luke chapter number 10, verses 38 through 42. And it says this, now as they went on their way, right? So Jesus, is, this is going to happen with Jesus and his disciples on the way to somewhere. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha, everybody say Martha, Martha, welcomed him into her house. Everybody say her house. Now listen, Martha didn't write this story, okay? Martha was not the author of this story. It was the Luke, he was a Greek, he was, a, he, he was a, a, even an uncircumcised um, uh, physician or, or doctor, have the equivalence of a doctorate degree. Many people have that up for debate still. And it says, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her her house and she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet and listened to his teaching but martha was distracted with much serving or obligation and she went now listen this is a, this part is so funny to me and she went up to him and said lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone that's a question so she asked jesus a question but then she goes ahead and answers the question for jesus right do, do you catch this? She says, do you not care that she's left me alone to serve all by myself? Question, tell her then to help me. Do, 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 you, catch, do you catch this? And this is my message next week, so I don't, want, I don't want to give it away because next week is so fun. Do you catch what just happened? The obligation she was under because she felt because it was her house, she had to do these things, so she was under obligation. And so with that, her sister was doing nothing. She was the lazy one right so she felt because of her obligation she would step into a form of manipulation and say jesus why has she left me all alone and then when jesus didn't respond like she wanted she went into the role of victimization did, did you catch well tell her to help me 
Do you love her passive aggressiveness? <laughs> Come on, so, all right, I'm, I'm going for your heart, not your feet. Some of y'all are already like, yeah, I don't like this at all no more. See, because the reality of the situation is many of us fall into the Martha categories. And I want to talk to the, and I'll finish reading the passage. It says, tell her then to help me. But Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I want to talk just briefly about the pools of life as the worship team is coming. I want to talk to you about the pools of life just for a minute. What happens when opportunity becomes an obligation? The opportunity that I prayed for some of us to have two or three years ago is now your biggest prayer request today because the opportunity has become the obligation. I remember praying for people in this room three or four years ago. I would really love this job promotion. A few months later, pray for me. This job promotion is killing me. <laughs> right? I remember this in my personal life. Oh, God, for five years, my wife and I prayed, oh, if you would just give us a kid. Now it's, oh, God, you gave us a kid. <laughs> Come on, can I get an amen on that, somebody? See, your opportunity to step in by faith three years ago is now your biggest prayer request by faith today. Your opportunity has become your obligation. And if you don't get your obligations right, your obligation will lead you to manipulation, which will get you into victimization. And we got to change that. And so with that, I'll never forget this. This is the best example. I, can think of, I was working on a message a few years back. And I was doing it at the house, which is very rare for me. And my kids ran to me and said, Dad, 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 let's play. Let's da, da, da. You know kids, I love them. I got the best kids in the world. And if you're wondering where they rate in my life, they always rate above you. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. So there are times I will shut my phone off to be with my kids because I'm telling you where they rank in my life. They rank above you but below my wife. That's where they rank. My wife is first. I'll have my kids for the next 10 years, 12 years. I'm going to have my wife for the rest of my life. I better put priorities where priorities belong. Right? If I want the next eternity of my life to be good, I'm going to put priority on her because I'm with her forever. Right? My kids are going to have for 10 years, so I'm going to teach them how to raise, be raised right. And so here's another reason I say my wife gets number one priority. Because I look at my boys and says, hey, I'm a guy, you're a guy, and you're a guy. She's the only lady. Um, she's already suffering. <laughs> right? <laughs> she's got to put up with all three of us. And luckily, I've learned to put the seat down. Y'all obviously haven't. <laughs> amen. Thank you, Jesus. All the women say amen. Come on. Give a hand clap of praise on that. But what happens? What happens when I'm working on this message? The kids became the distraction even though they really are the priority. Yeah. Can I say that again? A lot of times uh, we're trying to do stuff as adults and the kids seem like a distraction when really they're the priority. What happens if God is so intentional about advancing his kingdom, he pushes all of his kids aside, but really the way God operates, his kids are the priority so his whole kingdom revolves around his kids. So listen, Joel, because I'm the OCD one in the house, not my wife. The laundry can wait a little bit. The dishes in the sink, can, they can go a day or so until, until they pile up a little higher, right? Come on now, somebody give me an amen. Lisa, come on, help me out, sister. I know she's like, I'll call some OCD people out in the room. I'm just telling you. Oh, guys, come on. Don't let the priority become the distraction with this. Because here's what it all comes down to in this. It's what is important versus what is important in the moment. 
The big struggle with Mary and Martha was this, is Martha was doing what was important. It was her house. She had to pay the taxes. She had to keep it clean. And she was responsible for everything in the house. The Bible says it was her house and her little um, sister, I'm just going to keep it real clean here, who didn't pay the bills, who didn't help with the laundry, who wasn't helping cooking and wasn't helping cleaning. Can I get an amen on some of that, right? Living with her, freeloading, sandbagging, and everything. Right? I'm just, said I'd keep it clean. I said I'd keep it clean. Y'all quit thinking. I didn't mention anything about an age group here. Freeloading, sandbagging. Jesus, tell her to help me. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say what Martha was doing was bad. She just said Mary chose what was a lot better. He, she was try, Jesus was trying to treat, teach Martha something. What is important, all the house stuff is important, but what is important in the moment is vital. See, Jesus wasn't always going to be at her house. Remember, he was on the way to somewhere, and he stopped off to see them. And as he stopped off to see them, there was a time he was going to go, and then the cleaning could be done, and the cooking could be done, and everything else could be done. So Jesus was looking at Martha and saying, Martha, what is important is you're right. This is important, but what is important in the moment is vital. See, we as the body of Christ, we've got to decide when we're on our way and God wants to do a miracle in us. What is important is getting to work on time. But what is important in the moment is helping the one with the flat tire on the side of the road and ministering Jesus to them. What is important is making sure that all the affairs of life are taken care of. You need to pay your taxes. Amen. All my CPA said pay your taxes. Right. You, you need to take care of some of these things. You need to be responsible in life. But what is important versus what is important in the moment are two different things. See, there is such a thing of laws you need to be obeyed by, but there's principles of operating like a believer that must become the most important in the moment. Yeah. I'm not saying you can show up 20 days in a row late for work saying you stopped and helped somebody with a flat tire every single day because it didn't happen. But what I am saying, when the Spirit of God quickens you in the moment, you need to push the Martha aside and say, I'm ready to be married. What's important versus what's important in the moment. So right now, as I've set up this whole next series for you, the only thing I'm going to ask you is, what is important is, about, is what's going to happen when you leave here. you got a whole day planned, and so I'm not going to keep you longer than you need to. But I'm going to ask you, what is important right now in this moment? I know some of you got to leave here in a minute and go to work, but I'm telling you, don't run out to work until you deal with what God's trying to deal with you in the moment. I know some of you got family reunions to go to, and I know some of you got places to be and people to see, and, and you got a whole day of, of fun planned out with your family, and I'm, I'm telling you, that is vital and it's important, but what's important in this moment right now is this, is what decision you're going to make. Will you make this one decision, and here's what it is. Everybody look at me real quick, and I'm wrapping this up in 30 seconds. Will you make a commitment this morning to live life in the presence of God so that when you're on the way he can use you every day that's the only decision that matters in this moment because that'll dictate where you go to lunch at here in a few minutes because that will dictate what clothes you put on tomorrow morning before you go to work that will dictate how you begin to treat your kids later this afternoon when they're the distraction but they're also the priority and you realize I'm doing this in the presence of God so they become the priority not the distraction the only decision you got to make right now and in this moment is what Mary did is what is the most important? Will I live life every day with Jesus on the way in his presence? Or am I going to let the busyness of my life drown out the voice of God in what I do? If everyone would stand this morning.
And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of everything you've got to do this next week. And I don't even like thinking like that because i got another message to preach. If I do that, I'm going to be distracted just by my to-do list. But I want you to begin to think of everything you've got to do next week. And I want to ask you, what's important versus what is important in the moment? If my ministers could make their way to the sides of the auditorium, and as I say amen, just keep your hand held up until somebody comes to you, then put your hands down as you're praying, then hold your hand back up when you're done. And here's what I'm going to ask you. Number one is, how will you live your life every day this week? I'm just asking you for the next few days. I'm not asking you to make a month decision, a year decision. Try it for a week and see what it's like waking up with Jesus and going to bed with Jesus and just starting to have him as a priority every day on the way in what you're doing. The next thing is this. It's the crucial and most vital thing in this moment. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? If you've never met him, that's the most vital thing in this moment. What's important is all the things you've got to get done, but what's important in this moment is, do I know who holds my future and where my eternity lies? And that's with Jesus Christ. And so if you would, close your eyes with me, and we're going to close this thing in prayer. When I say amen, the altars are open. If you want to take communion, come between section one and section two, and they'll serve you communion. As my ministers hold their hand up high, they want to minister to you prayers of faith, prayers of encouragement, prayers of healing, anything that you need. They are qualified, equipped to lead you in a prayer of salvation, to lead you in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to invite the presence of God in your life. So as you leave every day on the way, you experience the power of God. So, Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that if anyone does not know Christ, that they would come and make this the most important moment in their life. That if anyone in this room realizes I've been a Martha all my life and I need to figure out how to switch to this Mary mentality and this lifestyle and have you every day on the way, I pray that they would make a decision in this moment what's the most important. And that's going to a minister and receiving prayer of faith and encouragement to change the way they live. Church, the altars are open. Won't you come as we worship this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Begin to move. Begin to go get prayer. Receive ministry as we worship.